Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. It is a rainy day where I'm at, and we just had the local election here on the Kenai Peninsula Borough, and really, really all around Alaska, we had some local elections, and uh, it's it's always a good thing when you get out and vote, whether you're conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican, um, it's your duty, I feel, to get out and vote, and so I hope that you voted yesterday. And sometimes you can vote early in, in these local elections. And so the chips will fall today and we'll see what happens. Uh, I know in the Matsu and Kenai, Fairbanks and uh, Juneau uh, had lo local elections. So it'll be interesting to see what happened in those local elections. Um, if you are listening to Must Read Alaska on iTunes or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Pandora and you like Must Read Alaska, I'd love for you to give us a review, five-star review. Uh, it helps us out. We have our content free for you uh, to listen anytime you want. And so all we ask is that you leave us a review. And if you uh, read our content on mustreadalaska.com and you like it, feel free to donate there on the right-hand side. There's a donate button. And we survive off $5, $10, $100 donations at a time. We're not funded by a big nonprofit conglomerate. We're just uh, out here working day in and day out, trying to make ends meet. So if you do donate, we want to thank you for doing that because you help keep the lights on here at Must Food Alaska. And uh, we do have an app as well. I want to remind folks that if you go to the iTunes store, the Android store, just type in Must Read Alaska, and you can find our app right there in the store. It's for free. Just click on download it. And if you have downloaded it and you love it, make sure to give us a five-star review. We love those reviews. Uh, without, without further ado, I want to introduce our guest. He is an expert in this field. He has been doing surveys in Alaska probably for the longest time of anybody doing surveys in Alaska. He's the owner of Alaska Survey Research, and uh, he has some interesting poll data that we're going to talk about today. Ivan Moore, welcome to the Must Be Alaska show. Hey there, John. How are you? It's good to be I'm here. I'm do doing awesome. I'm so happy that you joined us today. And for folks that maybe have not heard of you, they've been living in a rock or in a closet, as I like to say, for the last 30 years. Tell us about how you first started Alaska Survey Research and uh, how long have you been doing it for? Well, I got into the research business in 1990. I asked, I answered a, uh, a job ad in the newspaper for one of the other research companies um, in Anchorage and uh, didn't get that job. Um, uh, sometimes it's actually a good thing when you don't get a particular job. And that was <laughs> one of those situations and went and looked for another one and uh, got picked up. This was in 1990, which was a big gubernatorial year. Uh, that was the year um, that it was a crazy, I mean, it was a great introduction to a, to Alaska politics because it was the year that Wally Hickel won the governorship uh, when he took off uh, John Coghill um, was initially Alice Sturgelewski's running mate on the Republican ticket. Um, and then uh, he went off with Wally Hickel uh, and they went on off and formed a ticket on the uh, um, AIP side. Um, and so it was a crazy gubernatorial year and I was picked up, did some work in that uh, and then 
uh, did research uh, for the next five years for the other company and then started up on my own in 96. And, um, you know, uh, people can say a lot of things about me, but I'm still in business 26 years later, um, 32 years after getting into the business for the first time. Um, so I must be doing something right. Yeah, you and I both know that in this business, there's going to be people that like you and don't like you. And you've been and doing this 20, and, and, 26 and years. Fine. I yeah. thrive on the tears of my critics. That's hilarious. I love it. So tell me about, uh, you've probably seen a, a lot of elections. It's like the wild, wild west, I, I feel like sometimes here in Alaska. Is there one that sticks out in particular that's maybe been your biggest surprise election of all time, uh, given that you've been doing this here in Alaska for a while? Uh yeah, I think um, that was uh, Tony Knowles against Jim Campbell. That was the subsequent um, gubernatorial race uh, when Tony Knowles first got elected in um, 1994. He served for two terms, 1994 through to 2002. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about ranked choice voting um, later on, and this race was a really good example of, I know that ranked choice voting isn't the favorite thing amongst uh, Republicans and conservatives, um, but I think um, the reasonable ones should probably give that a second think. Uh, and Tony Knowles getting elected is one of the primo examples of where ranked choice voting would have saved um, uh, Republicans from a Democrat getting elected in Alaska. Um, that race was really weird. 94 was the contract with America year with Newt Gingrich nationally. Um, and uh, Knowles, for the last two weeks of the election, went further and further and further and further into the lead. Uh, and then on election day, uh, it was a dead heat and it blew everyone out of the water. I, we weren't the only ones who had Knowles winning big. Other research companies uh, also did. Um, and so that was a crazy one. Uh, and again, another introduction into uh, politics. That was the year John Coghill, again, was running on the Alaska uh, Independence Party ticket and pulled 13%. And then uh, Tony Knowles and Jim Campbell uh, were neck and neck. And if Coghill hadn't been in the race, um, Campbell would have won handily, and we never would have had Tony Knowles as <laughs> So Isn't rethink that interesting the whole RCB thing. You know, I know it's it, it's not a popular thing because I think the primary criticism that people have is that it threw Lisa Murkowski a lifeline, whether that was uh, a uh, deliberate reason that it came up, I have no idea, right? Or whether it just so happened, uh, maybe I'm being naive in suggesting that this is a possibility, um, maybe <laughs> that it just so happened that Lisa Mikowski was the prime benef beneficiary because she would have, of course, had to go through a Republican primary and she would have had zero chance of winning that. Yeah. So. Well, we all know that Lisa Murkowski is a uh, very smart <laughs> campaigner, and she's oftentimes thinking many years down the road when, um, you know, while conservatives were arguing about we wearing a mask, the other team was uh, deciding elections for the next several cycles. So right. kudos to the other team for thinking down the road, because they oftentimes do. And 
and they outsmarted us and and uh, they get the notch in their belt this time yeah um but it, it, it's also you know i was uh, quoted just a couple of weeks ago as saying that i truly truly don't believe that ranked choice voting in and of itself this process of having it's also called instant runoff right and you know if you look at it just objectively instant runoff is good for republicans in alaska because there's more republicans voters there are therefore more republican candidates and so republicans are always much more likely to be going against each other in races and splitting the vote and ranked choice voting prevents situation i mean that coghill situation in the 1994 gubernatorial race was a classic example of him pulling away a chunk of vote that otherwise would have gone to the Republican. And those kinds of situations are going to happen so much more than Democrats. I mean, shoot, Democrats can barely scare up one candidate in each race, right? Let alone having two. There's not really a functional Green Party anymore to siphon off Democrat votes. So it's always going to happen on the Republican side. RCV, on the whole, will help Republicans more than more than it'll help Democrats. And anyway, it saves money that you'd otherwise spend on runoffs. And it's good public policy, as my old friend Alan Teshi would have said. Well, that may be, but it's too darn confusing for the average Joe that lives oh, uh, in the woods like me not in Alaska. Like rocket science. <laughs> Come on. Well, uh, you know, we'll have to agree to disagree on that, but I think that it is a interesting science experiment that I think the legislature will try to get rid of. But um, I'm I have no, I have no doubt. Yeah. So tell enjoy me about it, enjoy it while it yeah lasts. yeah for the folks that voted in enjoy it while it lasts. Um, I might get is my my guess is Ivan that sometimes you know since you've been doing this for a while you kind of have a gut on how stuff's going to go. How oftentimes does your kind of gut match what the data brings out? And um, are you surprised quite often? Or is it, have you kind of been doing this for a while where you got this thing down to a science? You know, uh, no, there's no, um, one of the most fun bits of doing this job, particularly on the political side, but not always, uh, and people incidentally, ask me all the time, what do you do when you're not doing political stuff? What do you do when it's not political season kind of thing? Like political work is all I do. Um, political work is probably, if I had to add it up, 20% maybe of the work that I do, um, because every entity, whether it's um, local government, state government, whether it's nonprofit organizations, whether it's for-profit businesses, corporations, whether it's interest groups of one sort or another, are always, always looking to find out what people think about stuff, what yeah. they want. I mean, shoot, just as an example, pulling it out of my hat. I've been in this business so long that I once did a survey 30 years ago for ATU, uh, and of course, people who are relatively recent arrivals to Alaska will have no idea what ATU was, uh, but suffice to say, it's Alaska Communications in a couple of previous iterations. It was the Anchorage Telephone Utility, which is a public utility that provided local service. Um, and uh, we did a survey where I asked people 
um, their level of interest in a new service coming up called caller ID, right? It didn't <laughs> exist nice. at the time. And of course, ATU were wanted to find out if people were willing to pay money to find out who was calling them. Of course, now that's completely moot. It's like having a rotary dial phone for crying out loud. Um, but uh, yeah, everyone, all organizations, I mean, just look around you, all the stuff that you see around you that happens around you has at its genesis some kind of research. People don't just pull things out of their um, behinds and put money behind them without knowing first whether the public wants it, whether there's a market for it, uh, and so on. So, yeah, it's important work. And, you know, I got to put a pitch in here because there's a big tendency for people to not want to participate in research anymore, uh, yeah. particularly on the conservative right. And I'll tell you, you know, I mean, uh, another example, uh, just recently looking at doing some research on uh, the ferry system. OK. When it comes to particularly public policy research, but any kind of research, when you get called or you get texted or you get invited to participate in a survey, there is no better way to have an impact on the world around you than to, than to participate in that. Because you're giving your opinion and somewhere on the other side, there's someone who's listening to that opinion and the opinion of four, 500, 600, 1,000 other people right? You have even more impact on policy decisions that way, doing a survey, than you do voting. No joke. Right. Like someone in, sitting there in Cordova and their phone rings, and it's a survey where people are asking about the ferry system. Yeah, you should uh, take a few minutes and give their opinion. Trust me, right? So uh, recently you had a pretty huge spread in Politico. Um, which I think uh, anytime we can shed light on Alaska politics in the, um, you know, outside of <laughs> our it's a good big thing. state here in Alaska can be a good thing. So talk to us a little bit about that big spread. I mean, Politico is a huge publication. Tell us a little bit about how that went and uh, what were some of the main points it, that it was were actually, in that article. It, it was actually funny, you know, bless Sarah Palin. Uh, she sure brings attention to our little um, area of the country uh, up here. Um, and since the uh, attention, uh, since she got into the race for Congress, um, I've been called by, I'm doing an interview on Monday with a Swedish newspaper for crying out loud. <laughs> nice. uh, I've, I've, I uh, was talking to an old friend of mine back in England uh, just a few weeks ago and he said he was drinking his coffee in the morning and reading The Guardian and there was an article that I was quoted in um, and uh, he thought to himself boy it's a small world and it is so uh, thank you Sarah Palin for bringing all this attention it's not necessarily always good attention but uh, you know there's uh, even bad press is good press uh, anyway, the political thing was weird because it, it came about, uh, I get called by reporters and 
99% of the time, they just want to talk to you. It's background. They're looking for a quote on a particular angle to a story that they're writing, and they want to have a quote from you in there. And you'll end up talking to them for five minutes, 10 minutes, and they'll pull something out of that if you get good from the perspective of the person being interviewed at it. You can actually get better at giving them the quote that you know they'll use kind of thing, as opposed to it just being random as to what they pick out. Uh, but this uh, uh, interview with Ben Jacobs, I didn't actually mm, twig that it was what they call a Q&A, right? that basically the whole conversation with him was going to make the whole piece. <laughs> yeah, right? the whole, it's like a, it's like a 2000 it. word piece. <laughs> yeah, so I talked to him for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, however long it was, long conversation. And then at the end, I said, so what's your angle? What's the story you're writing? And he said, oh, it's a Q&A, this is it. And I went, oh, oh, shoot, what did I say? Kind of thing. So it was fun, it was good. Okay, so it's tell all. us your tell us your uh, tell us your thoughts on ranked choice voting. I know that we touched on it a little bit, but um, you know I think it's uh, important. Uh, like you said, myself, conservatives, we tend to not like ranked choice voting. We have our reasons, but I think it's important to hear from the other side because oftentimes we forget that there's a human element behind people and their thoughts and their decisions and their choices, and we right. sometimes go. To, uh, right away to attacking somebody instead of just hearing them out. So right. tell me your thoughts on ranked choice voting, and then we'll get into the three major elections, which I think will be fun for folks to hear about. Well, every, everyone has had an opportunity, uh, at least the people that voted on August 16th, uh, has had an opportunity to try it out. And obviously the last few surveys that we've been doing, um, we've been kind of modeling our um, survey questions uh, on kind of a, a ranked choice approach is just instead of asking kind of like a head to head. Um, and um, I don't think we really need to kind of get in the weeds about how and why ranked choice voting might be good for one side. Like I said, I don't think it is. I think we just have to look at Alaska history. And we mentioned uh, the 94 um, governor's race. Uh, and for those who weren't around at the time, like I said, it was Tony Knowles, who was um, clear, the clear um, um, Democrat nominee, Jim Campbell, kind of pro-business, he owned Spinard Builders Supply, mm -hmm. uh, and he ended up winning the Republican nomination, and then uh, Jack uh, Coghill, um, uh, I think I said John Coghill earlier, I'm sorry, uh, Jack Coghill uh, uh, was running on the Alaska Independence Party ticket, and Knowles and Campbell ended up neck and neck with basically Knowles winning by 500 votes and uh, Campbell uh, and uh, Coghill got 13%. That 13%, if it had been in a ranked choice scenario, it basically would have been Knowles and Campbell and um, uh, Coghill and whoever else the fourth one would have been. When Coghill got eliminated, it would have gone 90% to Jim Campbell. I mean, absolutely no doubt about it. And we wouldn't have had a Governor Knowles in 1994. Um, we go forward four years to uh, 1998, and Knowles is running for re-election. And this was another example of why ranked choice is good. That year, um, Lindauer 
was the highest uh, in the primary, he won the Republican nomination. And again, absolutely typical, loads of Republicans in there. The other ones were Robin Taylor, who was from Southeast, Ketchikan, I think, um, and uh, Wayne Anthony Ross was the third one. And if I remember rightly, uh, Lindauer got about 22%, and then Ross and Taylor got like 13% each. And Knowles was the only Democrat, right? And he, well, he wasn't the only Democrat. So he won he by a landslide. Democrat. So if ranked choice voting had been in effect that year, instead of it going to the general and basically being Knowles and Lindauer, and anyone who was around back then know exactly how that one went when it got to October and Lindauer completely created as being a liar and a fraud, talking about radio station mirrors and God knows what else. And Knowles <laughs> ended up winning by 40 points, whatever it was, because the guy was legitimately insane. I shouldn't say that. Allegedly, <laughs> legitimately insane, right? Man, I wish I was been, around for if that If it had been ranked been choice, right, it would have been Knowles, Lindauer, Taylor and Ross going through to the final, Democrat and three Republicans. And then when Lindauer craters, there's two others to step in, right? And so how is that like, if Knowles, which he wouldn't have, had gotten elected in 1994, this would be a completely moot point. But given that he got elected, if RCV had been there, he wouldn't have got reelected because very probably Robin Taylor or Wayne Anthony Ross would have made uh, a better ideological choice for for uh, for Alaskans in 98. Uh, another example was the year that Begich got elected to the U.S. Senate. Um, and this is a less clear-cut example, but it's another example. Uh, of course, he was running against Stevens. Um, Stevens very comfortably won the Republican primary um, Dave Cuddy was running against him, um, owner of a uh, family that owns First, Na First National Bank. So had buckets of money, uh, not as much charisma, uh, didn't really catch fire at all in the primary. Uh, and then uh, Vic Vickers was another one who was largely self-financed. He didn't end up uh, with very many votes, but probably would have been the fourth. Okay. So that year, Stevens and Begich went to the general, and then seven days before the general election, Stevens is indicted, right? And let's be clear, that's why Begich was elected in 2008, because that knocked Stevens down enough that Begich won. And I'm not suggesting that if RCV had been in place, in 2008 that the result would have been any different. But again, if someone gets indicted with a week to go before the general in an RCV situation, there's an opportunity for the voters to have another choice instead of being stuck with the one that they selected back in August. So I don't know. I mean, just look at past situations. It's, it's I, I think it's a good thing. And I don't think, even though, like I said, people are bent out of shape, I think the thing that people are bent out of shape on the right about is the fact that the Republican primary is gone. More than it is actually ranked choice voting that they're objecting to. 
um, it's because uh, the Republican primary um, is no more. But I think the Republican primary has been a bad thing for the right wing, right? I think um, what we're seeing in the numbers, particularly with candidates like Kelly Shabaka and Sarah Palin, is that they're super popular on the conservative right amongst the 25, 30%, because those 25, 30% have been used over the last 20 years of voting in this little bubble where we just need to like the people as long as we like them in our little 25% bubble on the right. But you look at Shibaka and Palin's numbers, as soon as you get out of the conservatives, it drops off a cliff. It, it really does. And what it takes to win, particularly statewide races in Alaska, is popularity going further across the middle. As we know, Alaska has a big... We've got, we've got the biggest problems. middle of any state, yeah, I think, percentage-wise. And I'm telling you, um, Peltola does that, and Begich also does that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the uh, Senate race. Tell, tell folks what your... You know, I'm sure you've been doing, you know, polls all summer, but tell folks what this latest poll that you did um, says about the Senate race, kind of give us some insights on the data that you've, uh, this newest set of data. I think it'll be interesting for folks to hear. Um, it has um, Mikowski and Shibaka and Pat Chesbra, the Democrat, um, and... Um, the infamous Buzz Kelly in the that's final. So, in the that's final so hilarious war. to me. And, and anyway, Buzz suffice, to, suffice to say, Buzz Kelly gets eliminated first, um, and it doesn't really matter where his where his votes go. Uh, and then Chesbra is eliminated second, and nearly all her votes uh, go to Mikowski. And the one thing we can say for certain right now, as we approach. Uh, the general in November is that it will go to a Mikowski Shibaka final. And this particular one was like 5743 uh, to Mikowski. I have polled the race probably five times in total going back to last year. And Mikowski has won every single one. And it's ranged from like a smaller lead than that 5248, 5347 kind of ballpark up to 57, 43, 58, 42. So I see Mikowski as a pretty strong favorite. It's not um, completely impossible that Shabaka might win uh, on Predict It right now, um, which is one of my favorite kind of go-to uh, <laughs> sites for getting a pulse on reality. Um, because people are actually putting their money behind who they think will win. Um, Mikowski right now is an 80% favorite, right? So Shabaka's 20%. It's a one in five that she could win. She could win. Don't get me wrong, but she's the underdog. Yeah. Um, have you pulled uh, any of like uh, Murkowski's, you know, things that people like about her, and things that people like about Chewbacca? Do you go that deep with your questions or do you just stick to who you're you know, for? We haven't lately, but I mean, suffice to say um, that Mikowski gradually since 2010, which is when she lost to Joe Miller in the primary uh, and ran her right in and ended up winning, um, 
has gradually uh, become moved to where she is now, which is basically a pariah, uh, let's face it, amongst the uh, people on the right. Um, for the longest time, her main support came from the middle. And if you looked at her popularity kind of going from the left to the right, it went up and it was most popular amongst moderates and no party people. And then it came down. She was somewhat mistrusted on the conservative right. She was somewhat mistrusted on the um, uh, liberal left. And she was most popular in the middle. And then 2017 came, which was the skinny uh, Obamacare repeal. That was the one where John McCain went out on the Senate mm -hmm. floor and gave the thumbs down. And Susan Collins and Lisa Mikowski were the two Republican votes with McCain that basically, um, that was the repeal of uh, Obamacare. And it failed then. That was it as far as the conservative right was concerned. So yeah, we could ask her, why are you negative to Lisa Mikowski? And we'd get all sorts of invective, but that's really when it went to the point where she is, like, if you showed me her numbers, cross-tabbed by party affiliation and cross-tabbed by um, political ideology, but her name was covered up, I'd say that's a Democrat. That is 100%. Yeah. A Democrat. Who is it? Oh, Lisa McCaskey. Yeah, the the one of the funny things that um, I remember seeing that I took a screenshot of a couple years ago. It may have been more than a couple years ago. The the official Facebook page of the Democrat Party for Alaska put out a thing because of one of Lisa Murkowski's votes that says, they literally said, never again will we partner with Lisa Murkowski. You're the only reason why we're the only reason why you won last time. And we will never put our faith in you again, paraphrasing. And uh, obviously they forgot about that because my guess is she's getting a lot of the Democrats, uh, a lot of the Democrat votes. Well, like way. I said, now if you look at her numbers, it's not a hump anymore with the highest in the middle. It's a lowest on the right, middle in the middle, and then highest on the left. So uh, she categorically looks like that. And um, she's going to have trouble maintaining that and i'll tell you why before when she had a hump all she had to do to keep the right happy was occasionally toss a bit of red meat over there and then next time she'd toss a little bit of red meat over on the left to keep them happy and the people in the middle didn't mind so much and so there was a certain stability and equilibrium to her situation now she's like this, she can't really do that. Every time she tosses something over to the right, they're not gonna they're, they're, they're not gonna do it. And they're gonna they're gonna say, I'm sorry, it doesn't make any difference. And they're gonna be as negative to her as they ever were. Uh, and the people on the left will only get upset. It's like you've you've got to obey your master. And she's going to have a tough time. Yeah, she's worked herself into a bit of a happy, corner. Keeping her support base happy and at the same time not becoming a pariah within her caucus in the Senate. So let's chat about the governor's race. Um, you have some interesting numbers there as well. I think that, um, you know, for a lot of folks, this is a, um, a very 
peculiar race because you have Walker back in it. Mm -hmm. um, you have a uh, candidate, Lescara, who actually will be on the show tomorrow, my uh, Mustard Alaska show tomorrow, that is, you know, he's he is one of the, from the last that I can remember, a top running candidate from the Democrat side that's very vocal about his pro-abortion, pro those kinds of things, stance in all of his ads. And, um, you know, it's just a very interesting race. And then you have Governor Dunleavy, who for a lot of folks, um, maybe he hasn't been their conservative hero, but they're going to vote for him regardless. And then you got uh, former Mayor Pierce that's pulling up the, you know, the five, six, seven percent that's maybe disenfranchised with sure. Governor Dunleavy. So tell us a little bit about this particular race. It seems like Governor Dunleavy's got this thing in the bag, regardless of what happens. But tell us about what the data says. Well, again, it's not a it, it's not a slam dunk. Um, but yeah, he's in a very strong position. Um, going back to the primary on August uh, 16th, um, we saw how things look in that race, which was basically Dunleavy with just over 40 percent. And then Walker and Gara kind of in this tussle for second and third, of course, it didn't matter then which one came second or which one came third, because this was just the pick one primary, right? Uh, and then, um, as you say, Charlie Pierce uh, was the fourth candidate to make it into the final. Uh, okay, so the, the, the most significant change since the primary uh, that we've seen in the polls and also in the Fabrizio poll for the AARP that was done two or three weeks before my one, um, is that Gara appears to have gone out in front ahead of Bill Walker for second place, um, because obviously that's key. Charlie Pierce, as you say, mopping up the disaffected Republican vote, he's going to be eliminated first. Most of his vote will go to Dunleavy. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Dunleavy uh, manages to get 50% when that vote disappears, uh, when that vote gets reapportioned. I don't think he will because um, uh, I think he'll probably be on 47, 48, and it'll be kind of a bit of a nail biter because then it's Gara, Walker, and they're 90% feeding from the same pool of voters, right? Um, and it's a matter of which one comes second, which one comes third. And right now it looks like Gara's got the advantage in getting that second place vote. Uh, and you know, Walker, uh, say what you want about him. What he's suffering from right now is the, uh, uh, the penalty of being an independent and not having party loyalty behind him. Because if you look at registered Democrats, 75% of them are putting Gara ahead of Walker. Only 25% are putting Walker ahead of Gara. So that's where Les Gara is pulling away. He's getting the party vote. And it's the same thing. When you go back to remember when we had the big 48 candidate race for Congress? Oh, gosh. Um, the two people who I thought would have been really interesting candidates to have gotten into the final four were Andrew Halcrow and Jeff Lowenfels, right? And both of them are like Jeff Lowenfels uh, 
like isn't a politician at all and so he's by definition independent and andrew's always been he's officially republican but he's always been kind of independent in his approach to things both way underperformed because they're independents right it's like really difficult to run as well, and and they didn't have the name Santa Claus as well. So. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you saw, like, all the Democrats were agonizing. Oh my God, who do we vote for? Mary Peltola, Chris Constant, like, and the Republicans were all agonizing about their choices uh, as to which Republicans they wanted to get in. And Andrew Halcrow and Jeff Lowenfels were both going, uh, "How about us?" And it's like, okay, so I got a little bit of in the weeds question on the governor race for you, if uh -huh. you have any thoughts or data. So does it? Walker coming in third place, do you think that actually benefits Dunleavy because Walker is most likely to have more people vote maybe Dunleavy third than, a, you know, probably yeah, yeah. folks on the Garib side are probably not even going to rank Dunleavy? He, well, yeah, no, I mean, uh, really what it comes down to is who who matches up against, um, uh, against Dunleavy better. And that has always been is and always will be walker right yeah. um you put less gara against dunlevy in a final and everyone's like bang it's all kind of completely uh done and dusted um uh with walker it's different uh one little data point that i remember is that on the first ballot less gara gets one percent of the conservative vote which is like 35 percent of the population he gets one percent walker gets seven percent wow right and so that's an example and you'd see the same dynamic amongst the moderates um that walker goes better across the spectrum does better in the moderates better in the republicans but less is cleaning up on the uh, amongst the registered democrats to the point that he will likely come second at this point, right? Um, but the dilemma for the Democrats is, do we go with our ideological preference here, or do we go with the person who, by all indications, is more likely to win and beat Dunleavy? It's the same dynamic that we've got with the palin begich peltola race, right? Peltola, right now, is the favorite. And the question for Republicans is, do we vote with our ideological preference here, Sarah Palin, or do we vote for the person who's more likely to win if they get into the final, baggage? And so what does your data tell us on that? I think this is probably the race that's getting, you know, it, you know I just live out in the woods in Nikiski, but this is probably the race that's getting the most amount of talk just among yeah. normal normal everyday folks um tell us what your data is saying on this race i think it's it's such a interesting race because i think patola pulled at some or no, i think she got like 10 percent of the vote or something at first way back in the first yeah something thing. something something like that and um, now now she's our acting uh u.s now, now she's acting <laughs> and she has a fearsome momentum um uh -huh. wave going here um like these days when you poll political candidates and their popularity, it's very rare given the partisanship 
that has crept into crept hasn't crept it's smashed into, <laughs> smashed into politics it's very rare these days to see a candidate who is not underwater or very close to it underwater meaning disliked by more people than they're liked by right um peltola is a two to one liked over disliked uh, I, uh, not exact on this, but her positive negative, I think, was 52.27. Um, and out of that 52 positive, 33, 34% of it is very positive. Like people really like her. Now, a certain amount of that is not so much artificial, but temporary in the sense that she's it's, on it's this. A, it's, way. A honey, it's a honeymoon. It's a honeymoon. It, it yeah. will crest. And then it's all downhill from there, right? Uh, it's just a matter of where the crest is and how steep the downhill is on the other side. But right now, she's the favorite to get reelected again. It's kind of the answer to the questions that people were asking prior to the primary, which is, uh, is the result we get in November likely to be the same as the result uh, in the primary? And, you know, it's proving that in, in Peltola's case, yes, it is. Uh, and again, what I was saying about the Gara Walker dynamic is the same. Every poll I've done, um, Sarah Palin is less likely to win getting in the final two against Peltola than Begich is, because like I was describing earlier, she's loved on, amongst conservative Republicans. She's loved amongst conservative no parties. Once she's into the moderates, it drops off sharply. Nick Begich goes much more successfully across, not quite so loved on the conservative right, certain amount of suspicion in the Begich name, right? Took a little bit of getting used to that, you know, conservatives voting for a Begich makes me laugh anyway. Um, <laughs> but he does come across the middle very much more effectively. And that's what it takes. And that, like I said, is the thing that I think after 20 years of closed Republican primaries, you guys have kind of gotten used to, I shouldn't say you guys, uh, I should say the conservative right has gotten used to electing nominees out of this bubble. And you've got to consider the other 70%, you know, and how well people go across. Um, uh, anyway, I could go on all day, but I think we're running out of time. Well, I appreciate it, Ivan. So uh, my last question to you is this. Tell us about, I'm sure there's folks that are listening here that are wanting to check out more of your info. Where can somebody find your, you know, website? Can they, where can somebody sign up for a newsletter? Where do you publish your survey results. Tell us all about that. Uh, I, um, uh, you know, actually, um, uh, my website is alaskasurveyresearch.com. Uh, and a lot of contacts from people um, uh, come in through there. My email is ivan at alaskasurveyresearch.com. Uh, and I've become a bit of a Twitter hound. Um, uh, I actually asked a question on a survey I just did saying, 
if all social media was going to get banned except <laughs> for one, which one would you keep? And I would definitely keep Twitter, even though Alaskans on the whole didn't didn't agree with me. Uh, they, <laughs> what was they, the one they, they picked? They thought there was more value in YouTube. I look at oh, YouTube, YouTube and I actually don't count that as a social media. It was like YouTube number one, Facebook number two. But I do actually kind of like the idea of a world without Facebook. Uh, but that's uh, a topic for a whole other show. Uh, and so, yeah, just, uh, you know, people that use Twitter. Uh, they can find you. What's your handle on Twitter? It's Ivan Moore one I signed up sufficiently early that I uh, managed to get Ivan Moore one as opposed to a kind of uh, um, larger number. Nice. Well, Ivan, I appreciate you joining us here on the Must Read Alaska show. And I just want to remind folks that, you know, folks from different uh, walks of life can have conversations and, and sure. um, uh, you know, they can be respectful of each other's opinions. I am a conservative Republican and Ivan may not be, but we can still sit together and have a conversation with each other and not agree on things, but still hear each other out. And so that's, I think, an important piece that's missing today in politics is that the sides are not willing just to sit down and hear each other out. So Ivan, I appreciate you joining us on the Must Read Alaska show. A lot of fun. Thanks, John. Yep, and you're welcome back anytime. And for folks that are listening, you can get our you can get our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere there's a podcast, you can download our episode. And tomorrow I'm going to have Les Gare on, and so you're not going to want to miss that. That'll be interesting. But later on today, I'm going to have the Chancellor of the Catholic School in Anchorage on, I think, at 3.30. So that'll be a, a, a fun show as well. So until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thanks so much.